This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture with me, Julia Jacobs, and joining me are Dashran Johan and um, Hezrael Ashraf. So today we are going to look at um, COVID-19, of course, as cases take a turn for the worse across the country. So we're going to explore how can state governments step in to complement the role of the Ministry of Health. So we're going to look um, at whether a decentralised approach to managing the spread of COVID-19 would help us rein in the pandemic. Yes, because top medical experts have been urging Putrajaya to adopt a Uh, and I quote, a whole of government and whole of society approach to combat COVID-19. So we want to know what you think. Do you feel enough is being done to include and empower communities and local governments? So you can take that poll over on our Twitter page at BFM Radio and your options are yes, it's evident. No, it's too top-down and it's too confusing. So once again, you can take that poll over on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. You can drop a comment under the poll. You can also WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Yep, so you might be wondering, uh, you know, aren't some state governments already taking their own action uh, and measures to curb COVID-19? Well, um, yes, in some cases, uh, most notably in Selangor, Sabah and Sarawak, they have their own COVID-19 committee or task force which focus on managing the situation uh, in each of their uh, state's borders. But I guess that raises the question, you know, is there more more that state governments can do to aid the Ministry of Health and complement their role, especially when they, um, you know, would have a better understanding of the situation on the ground? Yeah, because I think it's undeniable that the COVID-19 situation in Malaysia is getting out of hand, right? As the government scrambles to tighten its grip on the pandemic, um, daily cases in Malaysia have been soaring to record highs. We have only seen new daily cases in, in the four digits ever since the 10th of December and the number is only going to grow higher. So just two days ago, we saw our highest number of new daily cases since the start of the pandemic at mm. 4,029 confirmed cases. Yeah, I totally freaked out mm. at that. Um, <laughs> and back on the 7th of January, the Health Director General Tan Sri Dr. Noh Hisham Abdullah shared the ministry's projected daily cases that we might see in the coming weeks and months uh, and this he did through a Facebook post and this was based on two different r not numbers which reflect to the infectivity rate of the disease. So if our R0 stays at 1.1, we could see about 3,000 daily cases in the second week of February. Mm. And if the R0 is at 1.2, we could see about 3,000 daily cases earlier, and that is by the fourth week of January. Unfortunately, though, yeah. we actually <laughs> hit 3,000 cases on that very same day that Dr. Nohisham shared that post. Um, that is, of course, on the 7th of January. And we, um, you know, as you mentioned, we hit the 4,000 mark by mid-January. Oh. Mm. And um, saying that this is a worrying trend is, I guess, you know, putting it rather mildly. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, we're currently under a two-week MCO with another week to go. And we don't know yet if it will be extended. You know, that mm-hmm. certainly got me nervous. Yeah. Um, and just yesterday, it was announced that Kelantan will be the seventh state to be put under the MCO, joining Selangor, Penang, Johor, Melaka, Sabah and all of the federal territories. And on top of that, the Cebu division in Sarawak has always has also been placed under the MCO. And having the MCO, uh, you know, uh, in place is seen to, um, as a measure, I guess, to buy us time to prevent further transmission of the virus and thus, um, you know, further pressure on our healthcare system. Yeah. 
And um, for the past few weeks, we've heard really harrowing stories of what healthcare workers and COVID-19 patients have had to go through, uh, you know, as our healthcare system struggles to cope with the number Mm -hmm. of active COVID-19 cases. So medical workers haven't been able to take time off since March last year as leave for personnel in all government hospitals have been frozen indefinitely. And earlier this month, the health DG, um, he admitted that our healthcare system is at breaking point. Um, but a recent anonymous letter that was submitted to Malaysia Kini by a doctor in Hospital Sungai Bulo said, said that we are, and I'm quoting here, way past beyond that. You know, mm. really horrible thing yeah, there. Yeah, I've um, seen that. Yeah, and there are both studies and anecdotal stories that indicate healthcare workers are struggle, struggling mentally and just feeling burnt out, understandably so. Yeah. Um, I mean, just think about it, you know, our doctors, our nurses, the medical assistants, all of them, they've been Mm. working around the clock since March last year. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's like you said, Juliet, it's not just healthcare workers, right, who are feeling the burnt of the the pandemic, but COVID-19 patients themselves uh, with hospital beds at maximum capacity, patients with no or mild symptoms have been asked to self-isolate at home, while there are also reports of patients with symptoms uh, facing delays of being admitted into the hospital. All of these just adds to gravity uh, gravity of the situation we are facing. Right. And I, I don't know about you both, but, you know, it seemed to me that, you know, perhaps not en- enough is being done or done quickly enough to enable Malaysia to effectively cope with the current caseloads and, you know, to curb the spread of COVID-19. Mm. Um, you know, yes, like I said just now, we're already under the MCO, but recent developments have signaled that the situation, um, you know, might may not be easily resolved with an MCO alone and existing measures in various opinion pieces, for instance, healthcare experts from both the private and public sectors have highlighted that the, the MCO needs to come with other measures. So this includes expanded, uh, expanding testing, improving contact tracing, and closer partnerships with private hospitals, um, which have or which are being you know uh, discussed and carried out to varying degrees. Right, and amidst all of this, we have been seeing some states take their own initiatives to address uh, COVID nineteen. Mm. So being in Slango, all of us are aware of the Slango Task Force on COVID-19 and that was actually set up in March last year before the first MCO was even announced and the task force is headed by former Health Minister Dato Sri Zulkifli Ahmad as well as several other public health and infectious diseases experts and among the most notable measures include the the recent mass community screenings that have been carried out for free for residents of high-risk areas such as Klang. They've also been working closely with NGOs and employers to further prevent new clusters from emerging as Slango is now the epicenter of the outbreak in Malaysia. Yes, and Sarawak has also been quite proactive, you know, in tackling the COVID-19 outbreak in their state. So the East Malaysian state has been exercising its autonomy in public health as well as immigration. So by setting up um, strict rules for anyone entering the state, and this includes the minimum length of quarantine, as well as taking a COVID-19 test before travelling to the state. And they've also been very quick to respond to sharp spikes in cases, such as reintroducing um, travel restrictions and business restrictions Mm. when Kuching saw a spike back in July. And just a few days ago, actually, the Sarawak Disaster Management Committee also placed the 
Cebu Division under the MCO, and that's to contain the Pasai Siong Cluster. And interestingly, guys, Sarawak also chose to name premises that were visited by COVID-19 patients compared to um, you know our federal government's decision to not reveal such premises. Right, and here in uh, West Malaysia, in Penang is another state that seems to be you know keen to take on a more proactive role. The Penang State Government uh, recently reached an agreement with the Penang Medical Practitioner Society involving 100 private clinics to provide free COVID-19 vaccination services. And this is part of uh, preliminary preparations to increase um, capacity and to speed up vaccine distribution. Yes, and another opinion piece published in Code Blue, and it was written by Dr. John Teo, also points to the fact that states like Sabah need tailored plans to contain COVID-19. And this would require, uh, require collaboration of all stakeholders across sectors and communities. What many of these experts have been calling for, and we and we've been hearing a lot a lot about this, right? Is the is the need for a whole of government and whole of society approach? Because right now our approach tackling a uh, tackle COVID nineteen is mostly top down, without mm. much involvement of of state government. So do we need to move towards a decentralized approach to address COVID nineteen? And how can we see effective collaboration between the federal and state level? That's right, and mm. that's exactly. What what we'll be asking our guests for today's show, the MP for Banda Kuching, Dr. Kelvin Yi, who's also the recently elected chairman for the Parliamentary Select Committee on Health, Science and Innovation. And coincidentally, we have a poll running um, on that very um, on that very note. Yes, so we're asking you, do you feel enough is being done to include and empower communities and local governments? So you can take that poll on our Twitter page. Your options are yes, it's uh, evident. Your second option is no, it's too top-down and also it's too confusing. So you can continue to take that poll over on our Twitter page at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. That's right. We're going to take a quick break for some messages, but we'll be, we'll be back with Dr. Kelvin Yee. Stay tuned to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture with me, Juliet Jacobs, and also Hezreel Ashraf and Dashran Johan. So today we're taking a look uh, at whether there's a need for a decentralised approach to tackle COVID-19 compared to the current sort of top-down approach centred uh, around the federal government. Yep. So before the break, we looked at the current COVID-19 situation and how our healthcare system and our healthcare workers um, are buckling under the burden of the pandemic, with some states like Slangor and Sarawak having their own COVID-19 committees, should other states follow suit? How will decentralization and roping in state governments potentially help alleviate the current situation? And here to answer these questions and more is MP for Bandar Kuching, Dr. Kelvin Yi, who was also recently elected as chair of the Parliamentary Select Committee on Health, Science and Innovation. Dr. Kelvin, thanks for joining us. Now, when we talk about a decentralized approach, who are the stakeholders involved? Are we only looking at state governments? Um, as mentioned, uh, when we look at health in general, it's often seen as a federal matter. I think the dominant narrative of our COVID-19 governance is that it is a more centralised, top-down governance, uh, which actually contributed to our current approach. However, but if we look at the control of pandemic or even a public health emergency, it is technically under a concurrent list in the federal constitution, which means it is supposedly a joint collaboration between the federal and the state government. So actually, uh, the state government allows us to better understand the role of uh, local knowledge, sensitivity to local communities' needs and conditions, 
the adoptions of new and more inclusive uh, scientific approach, and of course, targeted allocations of resources. And I mentioned, I mean, both fiscal and human resource. Um, but we also must remember that a response to a pandemic is not just a health response, but there are many non-medical responses which is needed, which means that the state government is absolutely vital in uh, such a case. Of course, other stakeholders uh, includes, of course, the private sector. Um, I think last week I wrote a comment which means that we should the government should treat the private health providers as strategic partners. Uh, we should not strong arm them. And I was referring to the emergency powers because uh, different associations, including the Association of Private Hospitals of Malaysia, APHM, has been proposing uh, for a long time to the Ministry of Health a public-private operational arrangement, uh, especially to deal with such a pandemic. Of course, yesterday uh, the Prime Minister's statement did mention of a start of an engagement with uh, private hospitals, especially those owned by GLCs, uh, where there was a Zoom meeting uh, reportedly attended by 400 participants. This is a good start, but in my view, such engagement should have been done a long time ago, especially if we want to achieve a unified healthcare response. Dr. Kelvin, to what extent have we seen cross-collaboration throughout this pandemic? Um, There is certain level of uh, uh, Cross collaboration, however, it has to be done even more. Uh, in a pandemic, we need to face it. We need all hands on deck. Uh, we need a whole society approach. All different sectors must be activated, uh, including the private sectors, as mentioned. On a micro level, actually, for me, the general practitioners are actually uh, play a very important role. And the two important role I, I always say is the two Ds, the detection and distributions, which is, of course, the vaccine rollout. So um, to curb this spread of disease, it's very important to have a fast uh, testing speed, contact tracing, and, of course, speed of isolation. And all this can be assisted by a network of uh, GPs. So um, mass testing is one of them. Um, we know that certain aduns are running their own initiatives, but if we look at the initiatives, it's actually administered by GPs uh, in those constituencies. So the GPs can help with the mass testing. Uh, this includes, of course, vaccine rollout as well. Uh, the GPs can help um, uh, inoculate uh, what I see as a biggest national vaccine rollout. And in order to achieve the percentage of immunity in the shortest of time, we need all hands on that, including these including this G, uh, GPs. So, um, Certain states also mentioned that they are intending to purchase their own vaccines and then through their own state health uh, facilities, like in Slango, there is a cell care. I think they can help with uh, inoculations, distributions, even logistics to all affected areas, which meet, which will need their specialized local uh, knowledge and context. So actually, there are many other state government roles that can be played and we can see even through uh, technology integration for better contact tracing and this way we, we have saw in a few states for example in Penang when they had PG care in Sarawak they have uh, COVID trace they have community Slango and Slanka uh, Trangganu there's actually Masokla and Johor there's Jejak Johor so um, another area that is uh, the states can actually complement and strengthen the government's response is actually communications while the health ministry is a uh, uh, is rightfully sharing information daily, uh, notably case numbers, prevention of public health information. But actually, state governments have the role and can enhance by translating this health and lockdown information into more languages, uh, creating educational videos, expanding outreach education programs, even establishing uh, hotlines and local websites. So all these are actually uh, important role 
uh, by the state governments. However, in order for all this to happen systematically, it has to be properly regulated. And MOH needs to come out with a proper SLP that has to be adhered by all these stakeholders. For example, um, testing. Uh, if a GP, for example, a private sector does the testings, once the result is back, what are the procedures for quick isolation, transportation, contact tracing, who to contact, and, and, and what's the next step? So work can be decentralized, and, and I believe it should, and the different sectors must be, must be activated, but it must be regulated under a unified system. So would you say the current roadblock to decentralizing our, uh, our approach to COVID-19 is the lack of a system in place to ensure the process will go smoothly? Exactly. That is why uh, in order for that to happen, as I mentioned, there has to be clear communications. There has to be steps taken to reduce bureaucracy, to remove this uh, working in silo, silo mentality, and more importantly, to remove politics between federal and state uh, relationship. Okay, then from a political perspective, how challenging would it be to overcome that hurdle between the federal and state level? Uh, of course, there will be challenges. And uh, it is, of course, easier said than done. However, in my view, COVID-19 should be the unifying reason for uh, such responses to be expedited, to, to have more political will to make it happen. And just to briefly touch on screenings, there was a recent circular from the MOH which said that only symptomatic close contacts of COVID-19 patients will be screened. So do you think states have a role to play in conducting mass community screenings, such as what Slango has been doing recently and feeding that information back to the ministry? Um, exactly. Uh, when, when that circular came out from MOH, I myself uh, strongly questioned the direction that was taken because in my view that... Uh, as the pandemic actually spreads or gets worse, what we need to do is increase testing, not uh, decrease testing. So I understand the limitations and the resources of the federal government. That's where the states must come in uh, to, to complement uh, either testing or even contact tracing. However, all this must be done if the true, uh, more unified process. The state government cannot work in silos, neither can the federal government. So once the state government start doing their tracing and their testing, there has to be clear SOPs. What happens after that? Who takes his patients? Who does the contact tracing? And so on and so forth, so that there's no confusion. Right. And speaking of state governments, we've seen states like Slangor and Sarawak establish their own COVID-19 task force. Do you think this is also something other states can consider? Uh, I believe that the knowledge that each state government have is very important to address this. That's why I also encourage all state uh, to establish such uh, a task force because they can complement uh, the, the, the federal government's approach. Of course, there are arguments that say that certain states may not have the capabilities, certain may have fiscal limitations. However, I differ in those view because even with those limitations, but their local knowledge yeah, uh, is so important in their approach. And even local jurisdiction, as mentioned just now, it's not just a healthcare response, but they're non-medical response as well. Uh, issues as uh, logistics, identifying possible, uh, possible quarantine centers and, and, and different issues such as that, they play an important role. So COVID-19, in my view, shows that the state government uh, has a very big role to play, harnessing local networks and knowledge and complementing these federal government efforts. So one of the challenges of a top-down approach then is that um, the federal authorities may not know the ins and outs of communities in each state. Exactly. And that is why uh, we can see that the federal government is overstretched 
uh, in their response. And, and when it comes to dealing with this, they need all hands on deck. And in order to, by releasing them of certain uh, uh, um, strains or burdens, they, then the federal government can fully concentrate on actually regulating and also coming up with long-term, more proactive plans rather than just firefighting or being reactive towards the situation. So, so, so in order not to be doing, doing so, MOH must be willing to decentralize so that they will not be uh, overstretched. And with the additional breeding space, they can plan ahead, be proactive, and, and not just be reactive. And say there is decentralization and each state takes on more responsibility, does it create challenges for states to collaborate with each, uh, with each other? Uh, of course, there may be a pre-repair transition. But uh, as mentioned, the federal government needs to come up with a clear set of SOPs, needs a clear set of regulatory network on how this is supposed to be done. Transparency and clear communications will be the most important uh, factors when it comes to a more unified response. So this, of course, includes proper sharing of data and strategy. And I'm not just talking about daily figures that MOH does on a on a daily basis because that does not show the full picture or the full disease burden of a particular area. So, so epidemiological data, granular data must be published and shared transparently to all different stakeholders so there is more clarity and each state can evaluate uh, their performance, uh, their conditions and also infection control standpoint at that point. We must then uh, micro the management. So decisions on the, on the epidemiological level must be decided for districts, not just uh, states or the whole country. Um, Dr. Kelvin, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. If each state government is carrying out its own measures and interpretation of data, could that lead to potential confusion due to multiple sources of information? Uh, I do not believe that the state government should take over the whole thing. Uh, what we really look, uh, what we really need is a complementary working relationship between the federal and the state. So the federal government can regulate in terms of data collection and overall strategy. Then the state government, but this must be communicated transparently to each state government, and then the state government come in to complement different gaps that the federal government cannot uh, have. So again, as I said, it's not for each and every one of the states to work in a silo but to have clarity and to have a complementary role to, to, uh, to fill in the gaps of both uh, federal and state. Right. And moving on to the Parliamentary Select Committee on Health Science and Information, which you're a part of and um, you chair yourself, what role does the PSC, this committee, play in aiding the government's response to COVID-19? And how has the work of the committee been affected by the uh, declaration of emergency? Okay, I think the main objective for this Parliamentary Select Committee or PSC, uh, I would like to say is to comment and to recommend. So basically, it is to affirm right practices of the government, but also to give input and add value so that there will be better practices. So such is very important because it will help get public confidence, acceptance, especially in the approach uh, of the government, especially during the vaccine rollout, because this would prevent certain level of hesitancy. Uh, on top of that, I see the PSC as being a unifying point where we can get all the sectors, as mentioned before, together to discuss and give input to the government's approach. We can then compile a proper report, which will hopefully compel the government to respond. So, of course, the emergency that was recently declared has handicapped our ability to fully function. 
uh, not just to scrutinize the works and approach, but also to add uh, inputs and recommendations. I think best based on the current parliament standing orders, our proceedings are only allowed to be done, uh, uh, and I quote, within the premise of the parliament, which means that we have to do it physically. And But due to MCO, the emergency, different quarantine orders, um, this is it, it really handicaps our ability to, to meet physically. We cannot have as many regular meetings as we want. And of course, the final report cannot be tabled in parliament uh, for debates. But we are still seeking legal advice whether we can expand the interpretation of such standing orders to bring such proceedings online. So we keep the government in check. We are expecting or we are hoping to have at least a monthly report by the relevant ministries uh, on the progress of the two main things. Number one, the approach towards COVID. And number two, the national vaccination strategy. And with that, uh, we hope to be a complementary role to the government in the approach. And just yesterday, the Prime Minister also released a statement that he's agreeing to the formation of a health and scientific COVID-19 advisory group in response to an open letter that was addressed to him. So what role do you foresee such a group will play and will it be conflicting or complementary to the PSC? Um, I don't see it as a conflict. I see it as a complementary uh, role because the PSC can also engage with this uh, committee to get their views and also to monitor whether the government is actually uh, responding to recommendations made by such committee. That such committee is not just set up to be a rubble stamp or just to uh, uh, legitimize the different uh, approaches, but they are really there to advise the government. All right, Dr. Kelvin, before we let you go, do you think we are moving a little, uh, we are moving towards uh, decentralization of our COVID-19 approach and is it too late um, of course, it's never too late, but of course, there's so much more that we could have done in the past nine to 10 months uh, of dealing with COVID. The setup of this specialized uh, external specialized committee is a good step, but then in my view, it should have been done in February or even March of 2020 last year. So um, while we are definitely lacking, but let us learn from our mistakes and let's move forward because we are in a long haul. This fact, uh, COVID-19 wouldn't end in the near future, but uh, let's do the right steps and learn from our mistakes in the past. Dr. Kelvin, thanks so much for joining us. That was Dr. Kelvin Yee, the chair of the Parliamentary Select Committee on Health, Science and Innovation, as well as the MP for Banda Kuching. He was sharing his thoughts on the need for the federal government to take a decentralized approach uh, and not just involve uh, state governments, but to also have better collaboration with private hospitals and uh, GP clinics in particular. Yeah, that's right. Um, he highlighted how you know it's not too late to do better and that state governments are able to better tailor their responses to the COVID-19 situation, which is what we need to quickly mm. bring the pandemic, you know, what we need to do to quickly bring the pandemic back under control. Mm -hmm. So um, we are also asking you on our Twitter page at BFM Radio, um, do you feel enough is being done to include and empower communities and local governments? So um, right now your options are yes, it's evident, uh, no, it's too top-down and it's too, uh, and the last one is it's too confusing and Right now, 49.2% of y'all say it's too confusing. 37% of y'all say no, uh, it's too top-down. And 13% say it's yes, it's evident. Um, we've got a couple of uh, comments. Um, the first one says... Um, the government is not forthcoming in sharing information mm. with states. Um, it's all top down. 
And another one says, uh, after watching how Singapore uh, combats COVID-19 on Channel News Asia, Malaysia is nowhere near that level. We are far behind. So um, he says that, you know, we need to try and improve the situation. That's right. And, and, you know, if you have any thoughts on that, you can continue to tweet us at BFM Radio. Take that poll. Uh, you can also send us your thoughts. Just send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899. But I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today's show. But if you miss any part of it, you can always download the podcasts at bfm.my slash daily digest. You can find it on the BFM app, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and also on Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to message us, The Bigger Picture team, just look us up on Facebook. Just search for BFM The Bigger Picture and you can Drop us a message there. But do stay tuned because coming up at 3pm on Earth Matters, I'll be sticking around and I'll be speaking to Dr. Glenn Reynolds, who's an ecologist and he's also the director of the Southeast Asia Rainforest Research Partnership. Uh, and, they're, and they're doing some really good work over in Sabah, you know, in conservation mm. and sustainable management mm. and restoration of rainforests. And they also were awarded the Medica Award very mm. recently, just mm. uh, late last year. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up at 3pm. But you've been tuned to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.